to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you just felt overwhelmed? I got some yes and amens really quick. Yes, just press down, just almost like you don't know where to turn, but if you're a believer, you know where to turn, and you have been, but you still have that pressure weighing on you. And we may feel that from time to time, and we call out to God, and God does something, and then it lifts, but when it lasts for a while, or it gets extra strong, it can be very overwhelming. It can lead us to want to feel, to feel like we just want to quit. We just want to give up. And for some people, it even leads to thoughts of suicide. There's a whole wide spectrum of feelings that go in that category. I remember a time back well over 30 years ago when I was in graduate school. I'd gone to Bible college, got married, we went into ministry, God called me Back to graduate school. By then, we had two girls in elementary school. And um, I was working pretty much full-time. Pastor Jan was working pretty much full-time. Our girls were in school. I was going to graduate school full-time, which is a big deal. And I was feeling overwhelmed. It was uh, three years. I took the summers off. I didn't take any classes in the summer. But it's three years of very, very intense work and study. And I didn't get a lot of sleep. I was a lot younger then. But uh, I remember getting halfway through. It's a three-year course, a year and a half. And I had a paper that was due, as was often the case. And I had to stay up late as was often the case, to finish that paper. It wasn't that I procrastinated. It was balancing everything and finishing it up. And I remember being awake in the middle of the night, thinking, I'm only halfway through this course of study and feeling so overwhelmed. Like, I don't know if I can continue to go on. I really, I don't know if I can keep this. I don't know if I can, could do this another day or two or a week, much less another year and a half. And I just broke down. I just, I thought, I'm going to take a break from my paper. I went, I just climbed in the shower, turned the water and I tried to hide it from my wife. I was bawling my eyes out saying, God, I don't know if I can handle this. I don't know if I can keep going. I just feel like I want to quit. Even though I tried to hide it or keep it from my wife, she knew. She started calling people, saying, listen, you've got to pray. You've got to pray for Tim. He's going through a really hard time. And I'll just tell you, I don't remember a whole lot after that, other than the fact that I just said, God, I know my faith is in you. I know my trust is in you. And if you've led me to this place and I'm doing the best I can, you're going to get me through somehow. And somehow I survived the night. I finished the paper. I turned it in and I kept on going. The good thing is, is that once you get past halfway, then you're on the downhill side. And that's what I clung to for the next year and a half. And I'd like to say that that's the only time in my life or in my ministry that I've ever felt that way. 
That was one of the most overwhelming ones. That's why I share that instead of something more recently. But I can tell you that going through life and even being in ministry, there have been many times I felt overwhelmed. There have been many times I felt like, Lord, without you, and I know I've got to depend on you, and I know your word, and I'm a man of faith. This is not like I was backslidden or wasn't trusting God or whatever. But God, without you, I can't go on. Without you, I can't. Do this. I remember several times when I was still young in the ministry, just being a, a pastor, a senior pastor, for it's just like feeling like God. I don't think I'm cut out for this. I'm ready to turn my re- turn my you know resignation in <laughs> on Monday, and and lots of conversations and prayer times with my wife and God say just keep pressing on, keep pressing on, keep trusting in me, and I do that. Seems like life is that way, though. I mean, I give you kind of perspective from a pastor's perspective, but uh, but for all of us, it kind of goes in cycles. We go through times when things are, are relatively good. Our needs are currently sort of mostly met and, 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 and things seem to be OK. But then we go through times when we just feel so much pressure. We feel stressed. We feel overwhelmed. And we don't talk about that very much. You know, we go to church, we talk to a friend on the phone. How you doing? I'm doing fine. And sometimes we are. Maybe most of the times we are. Confession time. How many of you have ever told somebody, I'm doing fine, and you weren't? I think everybody's hands up, and the rest of them need to repent from lying. You know, there's kind of a stigma in Christianity sometimes, I think, that we need to be people of faith, and we do need to be people of faith. And if we're truly a people of faith, and if we're truly trusting God and his promises, then we're not going to, I mean, we'll have problems, Jesus problems, promised problems and all that, but, but you know what? We're going to be strong, and we're going to be victorious, and, and we're going to come through, and, and all that's true. But there's this idea that we're going to do this with just this such positive attitude and not really feeling the weight. But that's not true. That's not true. We're going to be talking about that a little bit today. The title of my message is The God of All Comfort. The God of All Comfort. You know, there's over a hundred different names and titles for God in the Bible. We all probably have our favorite. You know, Jehovah Jireh, God's my provider. You know, Jehovah Rapha, God's my healer, savior, deliverer, you know, righteousness. He's our shepherd. I mean, so many. But I love this one. I love all of them. But this one just really stands out to me. The God of all comfort. This passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 is the only place where God is called that. But the Bible is full of examples of him manifesting himself being that, that he's the God of all comfort. Why does this title for God mean so much? Because we need it. Just like most of us probably, if we're aware of it, love the title for God, that God is Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. Why does that mean so much? Because we need it. But this title, the God of all comfort, we need comfort. Why? Because there's a lot of suffering in the world, and we as Christians are not exempt from that. Thank God we have God to turn to, and God to lean on, and God will intervene and work on our behalf. But there's a lot of suffering in the world, and we've been talking about that on Wednesday nights. 
Last Wednesday night, we talked about why do bad things happen to good people. And as I announced a few moments ago, this Wednesday night, we're going to talk about why does God allow evil? But sometimes Christians just focus on God's blessings and not the suffering that comes with it. But the Bible promises, and Jesus makes it clear, that we will have to deal with suffering. It's a very unusual verse. It's not in our text. You don't have to turn here. But a very unusual verse in 1 Peter 4.19, it says, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. That would be a great sermon right there. I could get a three-point outline that just boom, boom, boom. But the the thing that's unusual says, those who suffer according to God's will. It almost makes you think, without knowing the context, without understanding, without digging into the truth here, that it almost sounds like God wants us to suffer, and that's the farthest thing from the truth. What it's talking about is that if you're trying to live for God, you're trying to do His will, you're trying to pursue His plan for your life, it will involve suffering. And that as you are doing His will, whatever suffering you come across in doing His will, you just need to trust yourself to God and keep on keeping on. Keep on trusting Him. Keep on doing what is right. Keep on doing His will. Because the enemy would love to creep in and get us diverted by what we're going through. Our passage today... It mentions suffering or affliction, which is another word for suffering, seven times. But it mentions comfort ten times. It's a few short verses. And from this passage, which we're getting ready to read, I want to draw some truths about our suffering and God's comfort that hopefully will be encouraging to us, but I hope it will be somewhat liberating for us also. And what I mean by liberating for us in the sense of that when we're going through something tough, that we can have the freedom of sharing that with somebody else. Now, we're used to doing that if we've got a health issue because we don't feel like we bear any kind of responsibility for that. Well, you know, I got a bad report from the doctor, but I'm trusting God, you know, or I broke my leg, or I got a cold, or I got COVID, or whatever it might be. I'm going to share that with somebody because they're going to pray with me, and they won't look at me funny because that happens to people. But I hope that God will give us some freedom to be able to share when emotionally we're struggling without feeling like somebody's going to condemn us or judge us like, where's your faith? Why aren't you trusting God? So let's, let's just jump into this passage. First Corinthians chapter one, starting in verse three. Paul talking. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort. Verse 8. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, and that includes sisters too, 
We don't want you to be unaware of the affliction that we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So we have here Paul basically opening up this particular letter, rejoicing in the comfort that God brings when we go through difficulty. And then sharing a specific situation where he just felt so overwhelmed. And we're going to work our way through this a little bit at a time. But if you know the story of Paul, you know that he was no stranger to suffering. And if you don't know the story of Paul, I'll just tell you he was no stranger to suffering. You can read this later, but you can make note of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 8 to 10 and um, 11 verses 24 to 28. I think I might have that wrong. I'm not sure. Anyway, but Paul talks about all the things that he has gone through as a believer and as someone that God is using powerfully in the world to take the gospel all over the place. He talks about being threatened by people. He was persecuted. He suffered. Wherever Paul went, there seemed to be a revival or a riot, or both. God was working powerfully, and the enemy got upset. The enemy himself gave him a thorn in the flesh. Perhaps you've heard of that. We see in Paul's lifetimes that he was aggressively opposed by unbelievers, most of the Jewish people who had rejected Jesus as their Messiah, and Gentiles. We see that there were times that there were other believers that opposed Paul because they were jealous of him or they wanted to have a position of authority. He writes about that. He even faced things from nature. It says he was shipwrecked several times, floating in the sea over a long period of time. Paul was no stranger to suffering. We are going to work our way through this, but I just want to reemphasize what he said here in verse 8. He says there was this one particular time in Asia, and we don't know for sure exactly which one that was, because there's a couple of things he relates in his story and in his letters about difficult times, but we're not sure which one it is, or if this is one that he doesn't even talk about, so we don't know. He says, we don't want you to be unaware of this affliction that we suffered in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. This particular circumstance burdened way beyond the strength. Despaired of life itself. He felt like giving up. He felt like he was going to die. We don't know if that sentence of death thing meant that he went as part of a a court situation and he just knew he was going to get a death sentence or just the way he felt that things were so bad, he just thought he was going to die. But he was tremendously, terribly overwhelmed by the circumstances of whatever this was that happened in Asia, which in that day and time was basically Western Turkey of today. 
where Paul did a lot of his ministry. This word for affliction that we see over and over and over again, and it's also uh, mentioned suffering, it can refer to outward circumstances, but it can also refer to inward emotional suffering and states of mind. It can refer to the difficulties that we face with physical issues and people and that kind of stuff, but it can also feel with deal with feelings of discouragement and depression. I, I, I dealt with this already a little bit this morning, but just hesitate here for just a little bit longer. Sometimes the idea of depression has this negative, because it is a negative, connotation in the realm of Christianity in the sense that people say, well, if you're really, truly a great Christian, you will not struggle with depression. Because you've got a great God and you can stand on His promises. And if you really got faith, you will never struggle with depression. And I would say I don't believe that to be true. And if you think that is true, I encourage you to do some research. Paul here describes a situation where he very well could have been been dealing with depression. It doesn't say that word, but it could have been. We read about Job and what he went through. Although he clung to God in faith, one of the greatest examples of clinging to God in faith in spite of difficulty. Some of the things he says, he's like just totally in despair, although he's trusting God. We read over and over of David being in the same situation, a great man of God, trusting God, defeated Goliath, not because he trusted in his own strength, because he trusted in his God, but yet through the things he went through, many times cried out to God saying, I don't know if I can keep on going. My soul is overwhelmed. Now you can play semantics and say, but that's not really depression. It feels like it. Now, depression is a deep subject and I don't claim to be an expert, and I'm not. It can be caused by physical things. It can be caused by chemical things in your body. It can be caused by circumstances. But I'm just saying that I think for too long, God's people sometimes suffer in silence because they feel like if I share how I really feel, people are going to look down on me. People are going to judge me. And people are going to think, I don't really trust God. And I don't have any faith. Now, those things can lead us into and keep us in depression. And the other side of it, trusting God and building your faith and trusting in your faith in God and looking to Him can bring us out of depression and help us to deal with it. Paul starts this passage with kind of an unusual perspective. It's almost like he's saying, Praise the Lord! I'm suffering. And have you ever done that? (laughs) Now, he may not have been exactly suffering when he wrote this down because when he talks about what he went through, it's kind of something that happened in the past. But it kind of comes across that way. But can I tell you, as funny as that sounds, we can really have that attitude. Praise God. He's a good God. I'm suffering, but I have a good God. And that's kind of the idea that he is promoting and he's sharing here. How can Paul have that kind of attitude? I would say that Paul can have that kind of attitude in the same way that we can. In the same way that we can. And it's because God can use suffering to bring about good in our lives and in the lives of other people. So let me just give you a couple of truths, a couple of thoughts from this passage that I hope will be an encouragement to you. 
But not just an encouragement to you in how you deal with your suffering and your struggles and that kind of stuff, but an encouragement to you to allow God to use you to help others who are struggling. Because that's what this is all about. The first one is this. Suffering draws us closer to God. Suffering draws us closer to God. Now, can I tell you that that's God's plan? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that God wants us to suffer, that God loves us to suffer. There's a lot of reasons for suffering in the world, and if that really wrestle, you really wrestle with that, listen to the Bible study from last Wednesday night and come and be a part of the Bible study this Wednesday night. And if you can't, listen to that also, because that deals with why there is suffering in the world and why God allows it. The good news is that God can take something that he doesn't want to be there and use it for good. And the primary one is this. Suffering draws us closer to God. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. I'll just stop right there for now. We're talking about suffering. This passage talks about suffering. I mentioned that suffering or affliction is mentioned seven times besides the examples that Paul gives in this passage. But this focus of this passage is not on suffering. The focus of this passage is on the comfort that God provides to us personally through other people. It's on the comfort. Look how God is described here. He is the father of mercy. Some translations say he's the father of compassion because that's what that original Greek word means. It means mercies. It means compassion. It means that whole range of understanding. He's called the God of all comfort. And just throw this in because I'm not going to focus much on it. He says he comforts us in all our affliction. His comfort is available to us in all of our affliction, not just some, not just certain categories. We can come to him with anything and everything. But he's the father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. That word for comfort is, is, is a phenomenal word in the Greek New Testament. It has a wide range of similar meanings. It means to comfort. It's also the word that's used for encouragement. You know, same root when the Bible says we should encourage one another or we're encouraged by God. It's the same root word. It's the same word that is at the root of when Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to dwell within you and he is going to be the comforter. Same root word, the encourager. He's going to be the one there that has come alongside you to help you, the helper. That word was used in a technical sense in the law system as a lawyer that is called alongside to stand with you and to help defend you and to help you. That's the word that is there. But it means more than just help. It also means compassion and concern. Now, let me just say very, very quickly that what Paul's saying here, he's saying to believers, it's assuming that the people he's talking to that are receiving the message have a relationship with God. It's right there in the title. He talks about, you know, God being the father. I know this world says, well, God is the father of all, but that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that the God is the creator of all, but he is the father only of those who turn to Jesus Christ. Trust him as their savior. But it also talks about the Lord Jesus Christ. As we're believers, we are trusting in Jesus Christ and we're serving him as Lord. So 
These thoughts are for those people. But can I tell you that if you're here today or you're watching online or you're listening to this at another time, God wants to be your father. Jesus wants to be your savior and your Lord. But you've got to turn to him. Put your trust in him. So what was Paul's secret of victory? He got his attention off of himself and what he was suffering. And he turned to the God who is the God of all comfort. Now, please understand, he's not saying, and I'm not saying that if you could just get your eyes off of yourself and your situation and turn to God, your problems would disappear like that. That doesn't happen with physical problems unless God decides to heal you instantaneously, which he can do. It doesn't happen with relationship problems, financial problems, any other problem, but any problem, including these that we wrestle with on the inside, if we turn to God, God can begin to do a work. And the more that we trust in him, the more strength and encouragement and help we will have with that situation. Suffering allows us to get to know God in ways that we otherwise would not know. I described at the beginning of my message that time that I went through in graduate school and I felt like giving up. I didn't know if I could handle it. But going through that, I was able to draw closer to God and I experienced his help in a way far greater than many other ways that I'd experienced in my history as a believer. And I could look back to that to give me strength for whatever I might face as I went on into the future. We can get to know God in suffering in ways that we otherwise would not know him because we have a greater experience of his mercy, a greater experience of his compassion, a greater experience of his comfort. Probably many of you could give a testimony of how you went through a really difficult time and you hated it, but you trusted in God and you came out the other side having sensed his presence and his power and his comfort and his help in a way that you had never experienced before. Can I tell you, the deeper our suffering, the more comfort that there is that is available from God. It's an opportunity to draw closer to him, to turn to him. And let me encourage you, turn to him. Don't turn away from him. Unfortunately, scripture is full of examples. History and our lives are full of examples of people who go through difficulty and instead of turning to God or drawing closer to God, they walk away from him. And let me just say that if that is you, or if you're being tempted or thinking about doing that, don't do that. If you have, turn back to God. You might think, well, how can I when he let me go through that? Listen, there's a lot of unanswered questions, but I can tell you based on God's word, his promises and my experience and the experience of many other people, God loves you and he wants what's best for you. And if he has allowed certain things in your life, he can get you through that. He can bring good out the other side. Whether that was caused by somebody else or maybe even by yourself. Maybe you caused the problem. Maybe that's one of the reasons you might feel like you should turn away because I brought it on myself. Why should I trust in God? God loves you enough that even when you make a mess of your own life by disobeying him or rebelling against him, he will still love you and help you with the consequences you've created. He'll do that. Turn to him. So suffering draws us closer to God. The second thing is that suffering helps us help others. Suffering helps us help others. So Paul's talking about in verses 4 to 7. 
He says, God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. We share together in suffering. To paraphrase what he says here, we can then share comfort with one another. And if the sufferings get abundant, that's okay because God's comfort is going to be abundant, abundant too. And Paul said in a very real way, if I could paraphrase what he says, the sufferings that I'm going through is not just because this is my lot in life or the results of me ministering for God or whatever, but God is allowing that so I can experience his comfort and then I can share that comfort with you. So suffering helps us help others if we're willing. You know, I did a lot to prepare for ministry through Bible college and then the graduate school I was telling you about and other seminars I've been to and books I read and and the studying I do on my own. And all those things are tremendously important. And the same thing's true for you. The same thing's true for you. You can do all kinds of stuff to prepare yourself not only to grow in the Lord, but to be used by him. And they're important and they're necessary. But can I tell you, a key component of really being used by God is to have that empathy. And that empathy is not just feeling sorry for someone because of the circumstances that they're in, but it's feeling sorrow for the circumstances they're in because you've been through it too. You know, when you've been through something, God can phenomenally use you in the life of someone else who's going through the same thing. Now, please understand, just because you haven't been through something doesn't mean that God can't use you in the life of somebody else, okay? You may never have been a drug addict, but God can use you to touch a drug addict's life. You may never be never been sexually immoral, but God can still use you to touch someone who's in a sexually immoral life. You may never have touched a drop of alcohol, but God could still use you in an alcoholic's life. So don't limit God at all. But can I tell you that if you have been through it and you know God and you know his word and you're willing to be used, God can use you even greater. And that's what Paul's talking about. Suffering helps us to help others. I remember back to the first year of our marriage. We don't necessarily recommend this to all newly married couples. We got married young. Not that I don't recommend that. We got married young. And then we just decided, I think we decided, I don't think it just happened, but we decided to go ahead and and have children right away or have a child right away. Misty, our daughter, our first daughter was born a year and a month after we were married. A couple chuckles. But you know what? When Pastor Jan found out she was pregnant, we were so excited because we wanted this. But it wasn't very long that there was complications. There were difficulties and very serious ones without getting into the details. He went to the doctor and I don't know if it was immediately or shortly thereafter some observation. He basically says, listen, I hate to share this with you, but you basically have miscarried, but it hasn't fully happened yet. That's the best way I can put it. He says, you need to just go home, make yourself comfortable and wait until the process is finalized and then come back to see me. We were heartbroken. We prayed. Say, God, your will be done. God, bring a healing. God, whatever you want to do. But can I tell you that instead of allowing the process to finish, God decided to heal. And so Misty's alive today. 
doctor couldn't explain it. God sometimes does that. He sometimes does something different. But the point of this story is that even though Pastor Jan did not go through that entire process, there have been so many times over the years that God has used you, used her, I was pointing at her, used her to minister to women that were going through similar situations or had gone through a miscarriage because she knew what that felt like. But she also knew the compassion of God and the promises of God. More recently, a couple of years ago, as most of you know, Pastor Jan's parents both died of COVID within a week of each other. And because of that, and everything has happened since, God has used her in the lives of many other people who are going through something similar. And I use her for example because those are two big ones that stand out to me, but it's true for every single one of us. Whatever things you have been through as you've trusted in God Or maybe you didn't even trust God when you went through it, but you experienced his healing and his help when you came out the other side of it, maybe even years later. But God can use you if you're willing. He can use the suffering that you went through or are going through to help others who suffer. Does this mean we should seek out difficult situations so we can better minister to others? No. They'd be like saying, maybe I should go be a drug addict and then get clean, then God can use me more working with drug addicts. No, we, we don't do that kind of... We don't seek out suffering situations. Just be willing to be used God in them. Does that mean we shouldn't pray for healing because the more I suffer, maybe the more I can... No, pray for healing. Pray for deliverance. Pray for comfort. I love this quote. I don't know where I got it from. It was just in my notes on this topic. It says, God does not comfort us to make us comfortable but to make us comforters. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. We can be vessels through whom God will flow his mercies and his grace and his comfort to other people. This is one of the reasons why testimonies are so important. We take time on Wednesday nights. Anybody got a testimony, something you want to share? I can't tell you how many times somebody's come to me and say, you know what, so-and-so shared that testimony on Wednesday night, and I needed to hear that. That just encouraged me. That gave me the strength I needed. That did whatever, whatever. You know, the testimonies are so important. That's why it's so important when God does something in your life, even if you don't give testimony on a Wednesday night or whatever, that you share it with people. That you share it with people. But can I tell you that this is also why it's so important that we are in close relationship with other believers. However that is, whatever form that takes, that fellowship, um, Elder Lynn Wedderburn taught a great Bible study on that a couple Wednesdays nights ago. If you weren't there, you might want to go back and listen to that on the website about how important our Christian fellowship and Christian fellowship is not a synonym for potlucks. Great place for Christian fellowship to take place. But Christian fellowship is that deep relationship that only believers can have because the shared love of God in our lives. And we need that contact. Last week, Pastor Nate preached about the importance of being at church. And it wasn't so much about being in the building, but being in relationship with others, believers, because we need each other. And this is one of the reasons We're supposed to be the source of God's comfort and encouragement to one another. The importance of those relationships. 
And can I just gently say this, and I don't have anybody in mind, but if this hits home, pray about it. But we need to give as good as we want to get. What do I mean by that? We love being encouraged. If you love being encouraged by other people one-on-one or their testimonies, then you need to give that. Every once in a while I'll hear about somebody that's a little frustrated, a little disgruntled or whatever, and I'm not saying they don't have a reason to be concerned, saying, well, you know what? Nobody's checked on me. Nobody's called me. Nobody. There was a couple situations where somebody got upset because they were in the hospital and we didn't come to see them, but they didn't tell anybody they were in the hospital. It's like, I try to be led by the Holy Spirit, but sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't tell me when people are in the hospital. But there are some times here, well, nobody called me and, and checked on me or... People don't seem to care, and, and sometimes I want to ask, and maybe sometimes I should, I need to be led by the Holy Spirit, is that you know, how often do you reach out? How many people do you call when you haven't seen them for a while? Or how often do you pray, God, lead me to, who, who can I encourage today? I'm not making light of that feeling of, does anybody really care because nobody's touched me, nobody's reached out to me. We need to do a great job of reaching out to other people, whether they ever reach out to anybody else or not. And that is a goal that we have. We're not perfect. We've got systems in place to try to do that, but sometimes people fall through the cracks. But each and every one of us need to take that as a responsibility, as a calling by God to not just be rejoice in the comfort and encouragement we get, but to be ones who actively give it. Look for reasons, look for opportunities to give it. What have you been through? with God's help that can be used to help others. Third thing here, suffering causes us to rely on God. Now, it's very similar to the first one. Suffering causes us to draw closer to God, but that's about relationship. Suffering causes us to rely on God, to trust in God. It can build our faith. We see this intensity of Paul's suffering. He believed possibly that he was going to die. He he despaired. Look at verses 8 to 10. He talks about this. We don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we are so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He says, one of the things that God was doing in me was to help me not to rely so much on myself but to rely on him. And guess what? My God, he can raise the dead. The idea being is that Paul's saying, I feel like I'm going to die, whether that was literal or not, a sentence of death from a court or just the feeling. He says, but you know what? My God can even raise the dead. Sort of like what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said in the fiery furnace. King, our God's going to deliver us, but you know, even if he doesn't, we're going to serve our God because he will deliver us, even if it's through death. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. I'll tell you something. Even if God so wills in his plan for your life that whatever suffering you're dealing with leads to your death, because we're all going to die sometime, we still win. If we know Jesus is our Savior and serve him as our Lord, we win. We get to go be with him. You know, if we just rely on ourselves, we'll never accomplish what we can accomplish by relying on God. 
I told you there's been a number of times in my life and in my ministry, it's like, I just don't feel like I can handle this. I just don't know that I can go on. And it led to a time of wrestling with God. It drew me closer to God. But as I relied on him in faith, it strengthened my faith. The suffering caused me to rely on God. As I mentioned, I think it was last week or the week before, sometime recently, we need to call out to God all the time, not just when we're suffering, not just when we're going through difficulty, but in the good times too. In the good times, it's easy to kind of back off from really coming to God and praising Him and worshiping Him and calling out to Him and seeking Him in His will and stuff because everything's going pretty good. But you know what? When that stuff happens, it's like, God, where are you? We feel like Peter sinking beneath the waves. Save me! And there's nothing wrong with that. You need to rely on God. Abraham Lincoln one time said this. He says, I have often been driven to my knees in prayer because I had nowhere else to go. All that he faced, all that he did, he testified to the fact there are times I was driven to my knees because I didn't see a solution anywhere else. May we go to God not just when we don't see a solution anywhere else, but may we go to him with everything, with everything. The Life Application Bible Commentary says this. I don't often quote from commentaries. I usually just convey the truths, but this was just so good. I wanted to quote it word for word. It says, if suffering in your life produces nothing more than a fervent dependence on God and a renewed prayer life, then in God's eyes, the suffering may have been well worth the pain. Again, not that God wants suffering for us above anything else. Not that God wants to cause it, but if in your suffering it caused you to draw so close to God, trust in God, increased your faith, that benefit alone is a tremendous thing. And we have great hope. Verse 10, God delivered us from such a deadly peril, he will deliver us again. On him we've set our hope that he will deliver us again. It's almost as if Paul's saying, I've seen God's deliverance in the past. I'm seeing it right now. And because of that, I know I can trust him for it in the future. And that certainly is true. That certainly is true. I just want to tell you that, again, ministry go through cycles. And that's true not only of people, but it's true of the life of a church. We've been here 18 and a half years, and we've been through a lot Together, those of us, those, many of you have been here that whole time. Some have come in between. We've been through some really great, abundant, blessed times. We've been through some struggles. We've been through some difficulties. We've been through some things to really rejoice. And there's some of both all the time. But yet there are times when it seems like there's more of one than the other. I like the part that there's more of the blessings and the hallelujahs and thank you, Jesus. Most of our problems are solved and we got plenty of money in the bank. And I love those kind of times. But we also go through times as a church that try us and that are difficult. And I just tell you, we're going through a difficult time right now. Got some great things that are happening. God's good. But I felt such a heaviness lately. The economy is in terrible shape in case you didn't notice. And how it's affecting individual believers. It's affecting the church too. Our finances are uh, probably... We're not in danger of going bankrupt or anything, but we've been struggling the last couple of months. 
But you know what? It's because I've seen God come through in the other times that helps me cling to his promises and say, God, <laughs> you're going to take care of this. I, I don't really see how, but there's been so many other times I didn't see how you were going to do it then either, and you did. You know, the songs that we sang this morning about Jesus is our cornerstone. He's come through before. God's come through before. He's going to come through again. He doesn't ever abandon his promises. But it's by going through those difficulties that we learn to really trust him even more, rely on him even more. The fourth one, just got this one, and then one I'm going to mention and we'll be done. But the fourth one is suffering draws God's people together. Suffering draws God's people together. Verses 10 and 11. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He'll deliver us again. Um, He will deliver us on him. We've set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. You know, there's something about shared adversity that creates a special bond. Whether it's because we go through something difficult together or if it's because we see someone that we love and care about going through difficulty and we join together with them. And I've seen both of those happen. You know, the Bible even talks about this. You can read these later, but Romans 12, 15 and 1 Corinthians 12, 26. Romans 12, 15 talks about how we should rejoice with those that rejoice and weep with those that weep. You know? Celebrate with the people that are going through good times and praise God. But when people are struggling, be there with them and be there for them. In the 1 Corinthians 12 passage, Paul's talking about how we as the body of Christ, he compares it to a body. He says, in your body, if one part suffers, every part suffers. You hit your finger with a hammer, it's not just your finger that's going to hurt. Not if you hit it right. Wrong, whichever way you look at it. That's the way we should be in the body of Christ. Suffering draws people together. I can think of one time we were pastoring a little mining town in Marincy, Arizona. And a young lady in our church, a wife and mother, you'd never dream, had a massive heart attack, totally unexpected. Was taken to the hospital. If I get the facts right, because it's been a long time. They did all the tests and the doctors basically came out and said her heart has totally failed and there is no hope. She needs a new hope, uh, a new heart. And without it, she's going to die. And that was, I think, on a Saturday. I don't know, but immediately we began to call the people in the church. And everybody began to gather at the church to pray for Christy. Because we're family. We loved each other. Sought God all long into the night. And I don't remember all the details other than the fact that she lived a long time after that because God gave her literally a new heart. And I don't mean she had a heart transplant. The doctors didn't understand. God healed it. Now, please understand, I'm not trying to say if you've got enough faith, God will do that every single time. God has a different purpose and plan for every person's life. Sometimes something like that happens and you pray and you pray and God takes them home to glory. And that's okay. But what I'm trying to say is that that suffering brought the body together. 
brought the body together. And the key is prayer for one another. That's why Paul says here, you must also help us by prayer. That's one of the reasons why we have a prayer chain in our church. Something's going on. It's like, I need some extra prayer here. I'm going to call the prayer chain. You, you know, if you're not aware of it, we have it, okay? And the person you need to call is the guy that prayed this morning, one of our elders, Norris Parker, him and his wife. They run the prayer chain. You call them, and they're going to call some people. They're going to call some people, and pretty soon there's going to be a bunch of people praying about the need that is there. Now, don't just call if you got a little hangnail, unless you think you're going to die of it. Now, I don't want to discourage anybody from calling. If you've got something that's serious, I don't know if I should call. Then go ahead and call. They don't mind. That's why we take time to pray for one another. That's why we have prayer during our service for the congregation. That's why on Wednesday nights we take prayer requests. Prayer for one another is so important. That's why my habit, at most of the time anyway, I don't always, whatever, but somebody says, man, can you really pray for me because I got this, whatever. And if I can, I like to say, well, let's pray right now. That's in person or on the phone or whatever. Our prayers make a difference, folks. The fifth one, I'm just going to mention this. It's actually not in this passage, but it's so important. I want to just mention it, that suffering helps us mature in our faith. Suffering helps us mature in our faith. I see this as a kind of a positive and a negative. On the positive side, God says, and you can read these later, James 1, 2 to 4, and 1 Peter 1, 6 to 7, God's word says that as you go through suffering, you are being molded and shaped, and God can use that to help you be a better person, a better believer, to have more faith, to become more mature. It's almost as if gold that's being refined by the fire. But there's also kind of a little bit of a negative side to it, and that is that if we've messed up, and that's why we're suffering, God's going to discipline us, because God loves us too much to not discipline us. You can read about that in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 to 11. Some of the suffering we go through, we bring on ourselves. And God will discipline us. It'll help us get back on track. It'll help us stay on track. But the good thing is that suffering helps us mature in our faith. So as we wrap this up, we hate suffering. I hate suffering. I believe God hates suffering. When God created the world, there wasn't any suffering. Suffering came because of sin. But because we hate suffering and we believe God hates suffering, we can't understand why a loving God would allow it. And again, we're going to talk about that this Wednesday night. We talked about it some last Wednesday night. But in the midst of all this, we see that even though God hates it too, He still uses us to teach us, uses it to teach us how evil sin is and, and the devastation of its consequences. We talk about how God can use suffering to bring about good The greatest example is the fact that God used the suffering of Jesus to provide for the forgiveness of our sins. And he uses our suffering to draw us closer to him and to one another. So we shouldn't seek suffering. We shouldn't try to prolong suffering. We should do everything we can to get out of suffering, anything that's right, legal, moral, all that kind of stuff. But it's something we should accept knowing that our Heavenly Father, who is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, He'll be there to help us and use it for our good and the good of others. And so as we wrap this up, I just want to ask you, are you suffering today? Chances are we all are to some degree. I mean, maybe some little tiny thing's not even worth mentioning. But maybe it's some pretty big deal. Or maybe you love someone so much in their suffering that it's causing suffering for you. You're not really the one that's actually suffering, but you feel it because you care so much about 
that spouse, that parent, that child, that friend. Sometimes people say, I'm at the end of my rope. If you haven't been trusting God and it causes you to trust in Him, that's a good place to be. But even if you are trusting God, if you're at the end of the rope, God's there for you. One last thought, and that is that sufferings can be a great opportunity. Don't waste them. Don't waste them. Use them as an opportunity to grow closer to God, to trust Him even more, to develop maturity and fortitude that can help you not only live better for Him, but help other people. But we can also rejoice in this hope. It's a whole different subject, but let me just read one verse, Romans 8.18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For whatever reasons that God allows us to go through sufferings, whatever He allows us to be put through, as we trust in Him, He says, one day you'll look back and He'll say, compared to the goodness of God in my circumstances. Now, it may not be till we get to heaven. This is, we'll look back and say, you know what? It can't even compare. <laughs> that thing that was so big on earth, or that thing that was so big 10 years ago, it's just kind of tiny. Now, it doesn't feel that way now. I'm not minimizing it. But that's God's promise to us. I can say it's true in my life, maybe in yours, but when I look back at some of the times that I have suffered, it wasn't some of the happiest times. I wouldn't want to go through it again, but it was some of the most productive times in my life, especially from an eternal perspective. So there's three thoughts I want to leave with you. If you're suffering, God wants to comfort, strengthen, and encourage you. I believe that with all my heart. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. Our worship team is going to lead us in a song. And I'm just going to invite you to come forward if you just want to come and say, God, I need you. By coming forward, it's not you saying, I'm at the end of my rope and I feel like committing suicide. That's not what it's saying. It's just saying, God, I need you. I'm going through some stuff. Or I know somebody else that is, and, and I'm just seeking you about it. And, and God, I need your touch. I, I need a healing in my body. I need something going on in a relationship. I need help at work. I need help at school. Is this the school year's coming up. I, I, I need help in a relationship. Whatever it is, I believe that you're suffering in any way. God wants to comfort, strengthen, and encourage you. God wants to use you and your sufferings to minister to others. Be open to that. Maybe that's what you want to pray about today. It's like, God, I'm doing pretty good right now. But I'm just kind of resting in this goodness and your blessing, and I'm glad I can. But how can you use me in somebody else's life? The last one is God wants to use us together to minister to those who are suffering. That's part of our responsibility and privilege as a church that together we minister to people that are suffering. Let's all stand together. Begin to play and sing, Pastor Nate. If you want or need prayer for any, I'm not calling the prayer team at this time, although later they may want to come and pray with, but just if you need God, you, you need a touch from God today, would you just come? I'm going to come stand here. I could use an extra touch from God today. I'm feeling a little bit of stuff, a little bit of pressure today. If you got a physical need, if you're wrestling with some internal turmoil, if you're just struggling with some stuff, would you just come? Don't wait for somebody to come pray with you. Or what? Just say, God, here I am. Here I am. 
One of us will come and close the prayer in just a couple of minutes, but let's take this time just to seek God and turn to Him with whatever it is that we might be facing today. praying, I encourage them to continue to pray. I want to pray a blessing over you. And that if people want to continue to pray, the worship team will continue to play and sing as long as people are praying. Father God, we thank you for your presence in this place today. We thank you that as we gather together, we can worship you and experience your love, your encouragement, and your comfort, Lord God. I thank you, Lord God, for the family that we have here. And Father, I just pray that as we leave this place, whether it's the next couple of moments or it may be a little while yet, God, that we would go forth, no matter how we feel, no matter what we're facing, trusting you, strengthened by your word and your promises, Lord God, encouraged by your spirit, feeling your comfort in our lives and ready, Lord God, to share that with other people. Use us in our world, Lord God, to be a representative of Jesus Christ to love others and show them what a difference Jesus Christ can make in our lives. I pray that you'd meet every need. Lord, I pray for those that are watching online or maybe listening to this or watching it later, that, Lord, even though it's a different time, different place, you're right there with them. Touch them, help them, encourage them, and strengthen them. And, Father, I just pray that you'd help us as your family in this place to grow in our relationship not only with you but with each other. Help us to be there for one another, Lord God. Father, I thank you and praise you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.